Brian just had a heart attack. He saw that mic about to fall on the ground. Hey, grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. While you're looking, I'm going to just give you a little bit of a recap of where we've been, uh, a little bit about what we've been talking about here the last few weeks. Uh, I want you to just remember that 1 Peter is written uh, to just everyday people. It's written to those of us who are just trying to navigate life, and it's informing and instructing us how we can live our lives in such a way that people see God, right? That people observe what you're doing and they, they see God. We bring glory to God. It's a letter written to you and I, and in the letter, it just really describes us as everyday saints. That's why we've called the series Everyday Saints. So we're entrusted with the message of Jesus. You and I are entrusted. We're called to be people on mission, and we are called to be a family. The church is called to be a family on mission. First Peter explains to us how we are to live in such a way to have a witness for Christ, even if the social structure, even if the society that we live in, and I think our society is somewhat hostile to Jesus. It's a way that we can still have an impact. Over the last couple of weeks, we've uh, looked at this uh, list, if you will, that came out of chapter three and came out of, of chapter four of, of ingredients, if you will, for uh, being healthy. The first side of the list were the, the B things. These were attitudes, if you will. If we can put that slide up, it would be great. But if you remember that side, the ingredients for healthy living, these were all part of like what's inside of us, that we'd have unity of mind, that we'd have sympathy, that we'd have brotherly love. Brotherly love was that uh, Philadelphia where we just had each other's back. We had, we're tenderhearted, we're, we had humble minds. These are all uh, like built in our emotions and our feelings and the way that we uh, feel towards one another. But then we saw in chapter four, the other side of the list, and it was the, the doing thing, that we actually are to move towards one another, that we actually are, are called to pray with and for one another, that that case, the love there is agape. It's the idea of, of charity towards one another, hospitality, where we open our homes and we open our hearts and our lives to one another, and then serving one another. And this became sort of the, the complete list, if you will. But here's the deal. There is one necessary ingredient that's, that's critical to the entire process. I actually uh, called my daughter, who's a pastry chef, and I said, I need a sermon analogy, Casey. Like, if you make a cake, what's the one ingredient that if you leave out, the cake is going to fail? And she, she said, well, it's whatever the leavening process is. So if it's baking soda or baking powder, there has to be something in there. If you don't have that, the cake is going to fall flat, and it's not going to be cake, right? And so this is the ingredient, like baking soda and a cake that causes everything to come together and causes all of the ingredients to work. In fact, this ingredient is so important that, that it's paramount for us to live into anything that we've learned so far in First Peter. I would even say that you cannot walk with Jesus faithfully without this one key ingredient. So I'm going to read uh, verses uh, 5 through 11, actually the second part of verse 5, uh, all the way through 11. And, and Peter has just finished talking to leaders, and then he's been talking to, to young people within the church. And, and again, he's talking to them about how to get along, how to have healthy relationships. And then he gets to this passage, and he shifts gears from talking to individual groups of people within the church. And now he is addressing every single one of us. So this passage that I'm reading is for every one of you that are sitting in this room. So the second part of verse five, he starts with these words. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Verse nine, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory, or excuse me, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me just pray for us. Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes that you would uh, help us to grasp what Peter is saying to us. There is such a critical nature. There's, there's some weeks where I just feel like this is so critical. If we, if we miss this one, so much can go astray. So much can, can go wrong for us. So Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would open our spirit to what you have for us. I pray that we would leave different than we came because we've interacted with you, the living God. Jesus' name, amen. So you've probably already ascertained what this critical ingredient is, but it's humility. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I just want to answer two questions. What is humility and why is it so critical to the process? Before we get to the what and the why question, I just want to, to recognize that just like when we talked about submission, you remember that conversations early on in First Peter where we talked about submit to all forms of authority and that that's a difficult thing for us. It's because just like submission is not a popular word in our culture, humility is not a popular word in our culture as well. It goes against our social structure. We like self-motivated. We like pull yourself up by your bootstraps sort of stories. We like uh, anything that's strong. We don't like to see weakness in people. John Piper actually says these words. He says, humility is not a popular trait in the modern world. So the atmosphere we breathe is hostile to humility. Part of the reason or the cause of this toxic environment that we live in is the kind of humility that we are going to talk about tonight only exists in an environment where God is recognized for who he really is and we are seen for who we really are. If we remove God from the culture, as society becomes more and more atheistic, then humility, the kind of humility that we're talking about, is becoming more and more rare. Some have said that God and humility are like, like the humility is like the shadow of God. They, they go together. They exist together. Now, just to be clear, there is a humility that exists that's actually still very attractive and, and a beautiful thing to see that doesn't really have anything to do with God. Someone who is, is not a Christ follower, someone who is, is an atheist can display humility. When somebody recognizes their need for other people, when somebody does something and, and gives recognition to all of the people who help to make it happen, we sometimes see it in sports, a real genuine humility that, look, I didn't accomplish this on my own. I may have got the most valuable aspect Athlete, but there's a, there's a humility that we can have that, that's not the, the godly humility that we're chasing after, but it's, it's, it's different. So stay with me for a second here, because what I'm about to say, I know it's a little bit confusing. I tried to, to write this a few different ways, and I think the best way for you to hear it is just to listen carefully. 
So a person can have horizontal humility, the kind I just described, right? And at the same time, they can miss out on the vertical humility, godly humility. But what you can't have is true godly humility that doesn't affect your horizontal humility. You get that? So when we really take grasp of what Peter is talking about, it will affect how we interact with the people around us. It will change our disposition, okay? So we have to have this accurate understanding of who God is. That's, that's the bottom line, that, that we need to know who God is. And when we know who God is, it fosters in us this godly humility which helps us to be gracious. It helps us to worship. It helps us to appreciate people around us. It affects all of our Christian walk. I would say we can't succeed as a church. We can't succeed as fathers, as mothers, as friends, as neighbors, without the kind of humility that Peter's writing about. It's so important that Peter waits till the end of this letter and uses it as the climactic moment. He's almost shouting from the pages that you need to get this. And if we look at the power of the words that he used, which we're about to do, you're gonna see that he's saying, like this is critical to your very being. So look at the second part of verse five. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. There's the horizontal, right? We have humility towards other people. We understand that we can't navigate life by ourselves. We need other people. And then in verse six, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So what is humility? What's the definition of humility? It's a right understanding of yourself right understanding of God and your understanding that you are utterly dependent on God for everything. It's a right understanding of oneself and how utterly dependent you are on God. So the opposite of humility is pride, right? So pride is this, this cancer that, that literally sneaks into our lives, whether we like it or not, and we all battle with pride at some level, and, and when it does, it becomes catastrophic. Pride is the, uh, this focus on self, right? Humility is a focus on God. Pride is a, is a focus on self. So if you go all the way back to the garden, the sin in the garden was steeped in pride, right? It was this picture of, 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 of two people that wanted to do something, right? Their focus came to themselves and suddenly pride sneaks in. Instead of their focus being on God, if they had just stopped for a moment and asked themselves, wait a minute, who is God? What has God done for us? How, how dependent are we on God? And if they had kept them the fruit from the fruit, if you look at this, pride is a fully made, make the choice to be humble before God. Humble yourselves. It's about maintaining a continual mindset. It's about a recognition in everything that you are desperate for God. Godly humility means that you learn to lean into God for everything. If you look at verse seven, he kind of points this out in a clear way. He says, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So the question is, what is it that's making you anxious? What is it that's stressing you out? It's been a really chaotic afternoon. I've, I've had a really hard time preparing to, to stand up here this afternoon. And it was like God was saying, are you going to cast all your cares on me? Or are you just going to scurry around a lot harder? We had computer problems. We just had all kinds of little issues going on, getting ready for the picnic. There was some crisis out there. And it was a perfect example of me having to stop and say, okay, I'm either going to 
pray through this. I'm either going to understand that, that I can lean into God or I'm just going to muscle up. The minute I muscle up, then I am just operating out of self, right? I'm operating out of pride. But we do it all the time, right? And it's a sneaky little thing. It shows up in such an insidious way. Quite often, it's the very things that, that God has given us that we become prideful over, Right? God gives us gifts and talents, and suddenly we, we see our own gifts and talents, and we become prideful in those. Oswald Chambers writes these words. He says, it's not a matter of our equipment, but a matter of our poverty. It's not what we bring with us, but what God puts in us. It's not a matter of our natural virtues, of strength, of character, of knowledge, or of experience. All of that is of no avail in this concern. The only thing of value is being taken into the compelling purpose of God and being made his friend. You can see a focus on God as opposed to a focus on selves. So when I walk up on the stage, if I forget how desperate I am for God to show up and I do any of this out of my own strength and I'm doing it in pride, but when I understand that this is really a God thing and if God doesn't show up, I'm, I'm toast, then I'm in a place of godly humility. And sometimes it comes because we have spiritual gifts or, or gifting, God gives us gifts or God moves in our lives and suddenly we begin to take credit for the movement of God in our lives, we become spiritually proud, right? But sometimes it's just because God has done good things in our lives. As soon as God moves, as soon as God blesses us, we are at risk of becoming prideful and forgetting that he's our provider. God moves and we find ourselves taking credit for what has happened. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't want God's blessings. God wants to bless you. He just wants you to be careful. So that's why he writes in, in verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Pay attention to what's going on in your inner being. Make sure that you don't become prideful. Be sober-minded and watchful. And then he says, why? Because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Those are powerful words. Satan wants to destroy you. And the avenue that he will use to destroy you is pride. Peter's making it clear, pride or a lack of godly humility is the very thing that opens the door for you to be devoured. And there's warnings about this in scripture, right? So the problem is God moves, God blesses, God gives, and we immediately somehow take, take ownership of that. And we say to ourselves, look what I've done, look what I have, look what I've built, whether it's a successful business or whatever, right? And Moses knew this. And so as the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land, you remember the story, right? So they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and then God gives them the promised land really through just a series of miracles. If you read the story, they, they really could have been bumbling ding-dongs and they still were gonna win every battle, right? Because God was giving them their enemies. They really didn't accomplish anything. That they, It was all God by God's hand is what all the scriptures say. But God gives them this amazing land. He gives them this land of prosperity and he blesses them. And so Moses says these words. This is Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 17. Moses is writing to the people and he says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and you're full and you've built good houses and you live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and, and all that you have is multiplied, then your, your heart would be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God 
brought you out of the land of Egypt, who opened the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flintly rock, who fed in the wilderness with manna and fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you and do good to the end. But listen to what verse 17, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And what we know to be the story is that's exactly what happens. They forget their God and they take pride in all that they've accomplished. They take pride in their military power and their, their houses and their stuff. And we are all so susceptible to that. God gives and then we say, look what I've done. Look what I've built. And you can see the two opposing forces, even as you read that, that there's this, this opposing force of pride and humility. Peter is saying to us, look, this is a human epidemic, and you better be sober-minded, you better be watchful, because your enemy wants to destroy you. Always beware of the thought, look what I've done. Look what I've built, look what I did, look how God used me. It just feeds that, that inner pride that can get us in so much trouble. But here's the promise of today's passage. It says, so that at the proper time, God can exalt you. There's a parallel verse. It's pretty crazy how similar these two verses are. I don't know who saw whose, but you assume uh, one probably read the other as they began to write this. But James 4, 6, and 8 says this. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he's saying, humble yourself, recognize that you are utterly dependent on God. And then verse seven, he says, submit. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a great promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Another great promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What is humility? It's a right understanding of who we are and our need for God to show up in every arena of our lives. And why is it critical? We've covered a lot of it, but the bottom line is this, because God opposes the proud, but he promises great things to those who walk in godly humility. It says he will lift us up. He will pour out his grace on us. He will draw near to you. I'll say it again. We cannot live Christian lives without a regular infusion of humility. We're either gonna be humbling ourselves before God or we will fall pride. I'm going to have the band come up and I wanted to end uh, with a song and I just wanted to invite you uh, to a time of worship. I, I asked myself, well, how do we humble ourselves? What is it that we do that is an, an act of humbling ourselves? And, and one of the things we do is we ask for prayer. When we need prayer, we go to others and we say, I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? I'm having a, a rough evening. We don't put on any airs of being able to do this. We, we, we make ourselves vulnerable before one another. That is a, a way that we humble ourselves before others and we humble ourselves for God. So there's an invitation for you while we sing just to come down if you want somebody to pray over you. But another way that we humble ourselves is just when we sink into the lyrics of a song. So we're gonna sing a song called Breathe. And it says, this is the air I breathe, your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. Your very words spoken to me. And then the words are, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. 
Remember our good friend Norflet said that when we sing songs, those songs have the power to indoctrinate us without our permission. That's why you gotta be careful what you sing. But when you sing songs like this, you are being indoctrinated to the truth that God wants to move in your life in a powerful way. The passage that we looked at today, it ends with these powerful words. And um, I've, I just feel like as I've studied this week, every time I've read verse 10, um, God's brought somebody different to mind um, who I know is going through a difficult season. I have a brother-in-law who just had a second stroke and I sent this passage to my sister, um, other people that I've just been sending it to and saying, this is just a, a powerful promise. But listen to these words. Just, just listen to what Peter promises us. It says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you he will confirm you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. So I just want to sing together, and I want to invite you, if you want prayer, to come down. If you just want to sing where you are, and I want you to sing these words, maybe for the first time, but actually giving everything to God and realizing that he is literally the breath in your lungs. If he removes his hand from you, life is no more. Let's sing.
Father, thank you for the words of Peter. Thank you for this beautiful promise that if we humble ourselves before you, that you will lift us up. We resist the devil, he will flee. If we draw near to you, you promise to draw near to us. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Lord, you are good. Mercies are new every day. Just to walk in that mercy. Help us to know just how desperate we are for you. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, you're welcome to come down and pray. Community Corner is open, and hopefully you're going to meet us out back for some Billy Sims barbecue.